Welcome to the Dell Spirit and Truth Podcast, where we wrestle with questions from the pew. This is Casey. And this is Jenny. Today, we're delving into connection and the F word, which isn't the F word you're thinking. What what F word are we thinking about? Forgiveness. Oh, okay. Forgiveness. Okay, so last week we were talking about just healthy relationships, and we kind of ended talking about boundaries, but we didn't get to finish. There's so many things to do with relationships. And one of the most important things that I learned about (laughs) was that you have a level of connection, like on a scale of one to 10, right? Let's say with your, with your mom, with your friend, with your spouse, if your level of connection is only a two, then your connection cannot handle a really big argument or disconnection. It can only handle about a level two disconnection. Right. So I used to make the mistake of us being about a level two connection and wanting to have a level seven, nine disagreement. And it's always at like 10 o'clock at night. And and it just didn't work, did it? No. Of course it didn't work. Why would it work? So how do we build connection? Intimacy. And what's Intimacy. So intimacy is going to come from a place of getting to know one another. Many times we don't take the opportunity or the time after the courting season of fun and enjoyment and excitement, and we just kind of get into a rut of complacency, and we don't pursue one another in one another's love languages. Well, and I think with intimacy, you know, I always like to call it into me, see, it really requires vulnerability, which is something you can't make the other person do. No, you have to lead with vulnerability. You have to um, share. And this is where we talked about previously, um, being able to share in a healthy way the things that are going on in your own heart. And being able to lead with that is going to really, not in every instance, but in most instances, um, breed vulnerability in the other person. Right. And so it's really actually like a skill to be able to understand what's going on inside of you and share it in a vulnerable way that invites the other person to respond to you with compassion. And so instead of being like, you didn't do this and I'm so mad, (laughs) saying, hey, because this thing didn't happen, I'm feeling sad or alone or unpartnered with. The moment we say, you made me feel this way. I mean, that's language that four-year-olds use and three-year-olds use. And sadly, that's a language that we still carry on to today. One of the things I like to tell my children is I don't have the power to go inside of you and make you choose that emotion. And so whenever we start understanding, which I feel like most adults don't even understand this until you're you're taught and you're like, oh, yeah, that does make sense, that your emotions are your decision. No one can make you feel anything. For instance, if there's something that that might make you feel ashamed, that's still coming from your own belief. Like, I'm not ashamed that I'm a Texan. There's nothing you can do to make me be ashamed of being a Texan. You know, you can try and apply shame to me for that, but... I don't even think that's possible. (laughs) Like, that's a weird scenario, right? That there are people that that might think it's shameful to be a Texan. They don't like the boisterousness of Texans and, you know, and so... But there's nothing someone can do on the outside to put an emotion in you unless it's all. Now, there's something on the outside people can do to trigger emotion that's already Mm -hmm. inside of you. 
but they can't implant emotions. And so one of the statistics, you know, that I hear a lot is people say that a lot of LGBTQ people struggle with suicide, and it's because of the oppression, because of being disliked or oppressed by others. But then people use the the argument of the black community being one of the most suppressed communities historically in America and that they have one of the lowest suicide rates. That's not apples to apples if you're saying it's because of oppression or because of maybe people not quote unquote liking you, then it's causing you to feel suicidal, then that would apply everywhere across the board. And we don't see that across the board. And Mm -hmm. so the truth is inside of you, your beliefs is what's causing your emotions and people might trigger those beliefs. You're looking at something objectively and you're doing an apples to apples comparison. Those big button issues are all rooted in emotion. Oh, I am suicidal or I am feeling this way because I am of a certain persuasion or if I have a certain skin color. Well, because you're doing this to me to make me feel this way. Exactly. And so that's that's where we get into a victimhood mentality, which the Lord did not create us to be victims. And so it's not an emotional basis, but the reality is we relate to most situations to where we feel something emotionally. We rarely approach it logically. No one can make you feel anything. You are feeling what you're feeling based on your own beliefs, and the belief is either present or it's not present. And so when I go through something that feels very strong, I have to look inside of me and figure out what I'm really feeling. Am I really angry or am I, am I overwhelmed? Am I sad? Am I in fear? And then I need to relate it to you in a way that I'm not accusing or blaming you of my emotions, even though you might have done something that triggered those, I still have to take ownership of my emotions. And then I can communicate to you that what you how what you did affected me. And it is my responsibility to explain to you how you affect me. You can't read my mind. You can't go inside of me and understand. And so that's another thing that we have. Sometimes we have very passive people that refuse to communicate and they inside their minds just victimize themselves and they might even go to everyone else and complain about being the victim, but they don't take responsibility to communicate with others about how they affect them. And so how can those other people change if they have no idea? With this idea of intimacy and with connection, comes this understanding of having to communicate to someone else how they affect you and learning how to do that in a skillful way that's not blaming, but actually being vulnerable. It comes from a place of just objectively recognizing and stating facts, right? When we are saying you make me feel some way, that is a, uh, a subjective statement. It's not an objective truth. It feels accusatory too. Yeah, it's completely accusatory. As soon as you feel like you've been accused, what's going to happen? You're going to be defensive. You're going to be defensive. And as soon as you're defensive, now we have tension. Now we have conflict. And that oftentimes arises. It rises, not arises. It rises higher than your connection level. So we have to be intelligent emotionally to understand ourselves and how we feel. And and then we have to have skill in communication to be able to communicate to you how your actions have affected me without being accusatory. One of the other big ways besides vulnerability and sharing how we feel 
is to build connection through, you mentioned it earlier, love languages. Casey, what are love languages? So love languages are ways in which we display love and affection and or receive love and affection. So the way in which we show can oftentimes be different from the way in which we feel connection or feel like we're being loved or respected. There's five main love languages, and the first one would be physical touch. These people really enjoy receiving positive physical touch. What oftentimes is women or men would oftentimes say, well, that's obviously men. All men are physical touch. Um, but that's that's when guys start to think, oh, well, we're just talking about sex. Well, like every guy, yeah. You say, hey, let's go have sex. Yes, a guy would want to go. Yeah, sure. I don't care if I have a broken leg at the moment. It doesn't matter. But that's not necessarily what it means by physical touch. It can just be a sweet caress, a hug holding hands as you're walking down the street. For me, scratch my back and I'll purr like a walrus. Like it is, it's great. And then I'm like, oh, she cares about me. She's willing to do these things. I have to intentionally, like when he's driving, reach over and rub his arm, scratch his back, scratch his head. I don't enjoy doing these things. It literally has to be like an effort. Like I have to like make an effort to be like, like oh, he uh, wants me to touch him. It's so exhausting. <laughs> And so the next one would be words of affirmation. I would say in a lot of instances, for me, I'm a words of affirmation guy because what men in general, and this isn't all men, but men in general want to know that they're respected, that they're they're admired, that they're cherished, that they're honored. And so that can be a tendency for men, but women as well. Like women want to know that they're beautiful, that they're cherished, that they're loved in a way in which they can receive that is through words of affirming things you see in the other person that are legitimate, that they're not just superficial. Or that you've noticed the things that they've done. You've noticed the attention that they've given. Right. If your wife comes in and says, hey, have you noticed anything different? It's her hair. It's her hair. Or, hey, this is a wonderful meal instead of just Mm -hmm. eating the meal. You know, there's so many different ways that you can give words of affirmation. And, you know, we have four different boys and they all have different love languages. And some of them, words of affirmation just means so much more to than others. And so saying things like I'm disappointed in you is so much harder on those words of affirmation kids than it is on the physical touch kids because it's their love language. Oh, you're disappointed? I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Or you're disappointed. I am dying inside. Right. Same thing with physical touch. If you're a physical touch kid, one of the worst things you can do is get a spanking, you know, because now your love language is being used, you know, to punish you. And that's the strongest form of punishment that you can use. So there's actually a book. I'm sure many of y'all have heard um, love languages, but there's also love languages for kids. And it talks about applying it to parenting. Great book. The next one would be gifts. Yeah, that's that's definitely my wife's gifts. Gifts is really the premise of I see you and I know you. I know what you like. I know what makes you happy. I notice whenever you say little things, like I notice whenever you say that you love red roses and I take note that you love red roses. So when I go buy you flowers, I know which flowers are going to make you feel known and loved. It's really the thoughtfulness behind the gifts than it is the gifts themselves. So it's just as damaging to buy a crappy gift with no thought behind it as it is to not get a gift at all. Yeah, like a vacuum cleaner or bowling ball. Those are are bad gifts, guys. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Yeah. 
one of my strong love languages is gifts. And so I really do love noting whenever people mention things that they want, things that they need and things that they enjoy. And so I like buying them things that I know will delight them. And so like I have a friend that really likes nature. And so the things that I would buy her would be far different than a friend that really enjoys cooking. And so I would buy them gifts that I knew that they could use, that I knew that they would delight in. And I want to make them feel known and loved through buying them gifts that they will delight in. And so one of the other love languages is acts of service. And acts of service I can vouch is something I am good at. I like to do things for people regardless of time constraint, regardless of whatever, because when you are serving someone else, you are are cherishing them and saying, hey, I want to take something off of your plate. I want to be of help to you. I want to show you that I care by the things that I do for you. And they're not just things that you would want done for yourself, right? These are things when you recognize, hey, I see you need help here. This aspect of acts of service, whether it be any of the love languages, is not about, hey, I want to do something for you that I would enjoy. It's actually, I recognize in you a need. I recognize in you something that you desire, and I'm going to meet that need and desire through this act of service, through this whatever it may be, doing the dishes, whether it's taking out the trash, whether it's making the bed every single morning, because that means something to that individual. Right. And so you'd want to avoid not following through with with large tasks or always ignoring little things, you know, leaving the socks on the ground always, you know, even whenever they've asked you to pick them up. And so those would be things to avoid for acts of service type person. And then last thing we have is quality time emphasis on quality. And so the quality time would be uninterrupted time, time where you're not distracted, you don't have a phone in your hand and you're halfway present, but time when you're actually present with the other person, you're intentionally being with them. You know, and one of my kids, he always wants me to watch cartoons with them and he doesn't want me to be reading a book or doing something on my own. Like he doesn't just want me with him. He wants me engaged in the cartoon with him. He wants me to delight in the cartoon with him, which mm-hmm. obviously is something that I don't care anything about, but I have to put down whatever I'm doing and watch it with him because that makes him feel loved. That term engaged, right? You're there, present. And again, there can be two people who are married together who love quality time together, but their quality time can be completely different. One, this the wife might want you to just go with them shopping and be with you shopping and love it that you're there with them. You're engaged. Look at these shoes. Look at this dress. Look at this new throw pillow of the thousand I have on my bed already. And then the other guy would be like, hey, let's go fishing together. And neither one want to do the other. But in order to meet and fill up that love tank, so to speak, is going to be doing the thing, engaged in the thing that that respective spouse enjoys doing. So when we're speaking someone's love language, we're, it, it's almost like I speak French and you speak Spanish. And you can tell me all day long in Spanish that you love me, but I literally don't understand and don't receive it because I don't understand Spanish. And so you have to learn how to speak French 
so that I can actually tell what you're saying and I can receive your love and vice versa. Exactly. So it's not so much, it's about being intentional in engaging in self-sacrifice to intentionally love on the other person in the way that they want to receive. And many times people, like I've seen some very unhealthy people that basically dog other people for their love languages. It's like, oh, well, you like gifts. You must be shallow. You just care about things because that person doesn't have an aptitude for those things. They don't have value for them. And so then they use like shame and judgment to tell the other person why they're wrong. And it, and really what you're saying is the way that you're wired, part of who you are, I don't like and I think is flawed, which is very damaging. And so we want to make sure to accept the other people in our lives as they are, learn to learn what their love languages are, you know, take note, what do they enjoy? How do they speak to you in love? You know, what things do they really delight in? And being intentional about sewing those things into them, if they're a physical touch person, intentionally giving them hugs, scratching them, you know, however they like to receive that love. If they like quality time, then spending undistracted time together where you're focusing on them or focusing on what they want you to focus on with them so that they feel known and cared about and love. It's all about making the other person feel known and loved and intentionally pursued. So when we are not um, doing those things well, or if we are shaming or belittling um, the other person for how they receive love, what we're going to be causing is a rift of bitterness. And when you get that rift of bitterness, oftentimes that will lead to unforgiveness. And this is a sad reality. If you look at the divorce rate in America, you know, 55% of most, and it doesn't matter if you're in church or out of church, people get divorced. There is a lack of connection. There is an, a non-recognition of how to love the other person well. And there has been so many times in which someone's either been belittled or not cared about or shown that there is very little connection, that that leads to a bitterness that leads to unforgiveness. And so that's where you see so many times within relationships, unforgiveness um, really hinders any opportunity for reconnection. And which goes back to our principle of if you have a level two connection, you can only handle a level two disconnection. If you're trying to do a level seven, eight, nine disconnection on a level two connection, that's when this bitterness, these really hard feelings come in. And so we build our connection through speaking each other's love languages. We build up to a five, a six, a seven, a nine. And then we can handle these level five disagreements, these level five disconnections, level seven disconnections, because we have a connection strong enough to hold the disconnection. But when we don't and hard things happen, feelings are hurt. And when feelings are hurt, unforgiveness and bitterness comes in to protect us from being hurt. Mm -hmm. And we know this isn't biblical. We know that we should choose to forgive. And many people choose to forgive, but they still have pain. And so when that pain is triggered again, it's like that unforgiveness is triggered again. Then they have to choose again. And right. some people that aren't as healthy maybe choose to not forgive. And they choose to maintain the bitterness to protect their heart and to play themselves as the victim and the other person as the bad guy. And those are all based on the person's beliefs. Mm -hmm. And and I want to clarify that when we're looking at this understanding of forgiveness and that oftentimes you can be triggered and go like, oh, well, I still have 
anger or bitterness towards this person, and you choose to forgive in that moment. And then down the road, you're triggered again, and you realize, oh, I'm still angry. I still have unforgiveness. And you say, Lord, I want to forgive. And you're making it an act of the will. And maybe this person is continuously wronging you. They just keep doing it and doing it. What did Jesus say? Like 70 times 7. You forgive that person in a day. 70 times 7. So no matter how many times that person wrongs you and you choose to forgive, and yet you keep going through the cycle of anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, forgive, anger, bitterness, God is going to honor that choice. He's going to honor Mm -hmm. that act of the will and saying, no, I'm going to choose what is right. But there is something so much greater, as I know what Jenny wants to talk about in this realm of forgiveness. Right. And so like Casey said, it's absolutely biblical. God honors us choosing to forgive out of our will. But one of the things that I was able to experience was effortless forgiveness. And this concept of effortless forgiveness where someone wrongs you and you're able to effortlessly forgive them, and then they can't re-trigger you, the way that that's possible is by dealing with all of the things, all the injuries, dealing with all of the reasons why you have bitterness there, right? And so maybe someone did something to me, and it felt very harmful. Well, it caused beliefs to be in place, Let's just say I had a friend and my friend I found out was talking behind my back about me. It really hurt me deeply and I chose to forgive them. And then something happened again that reminded me of what they did. And, you know, I chose to forgive them again. Well, when I get alone with the Lord and I allow myself to feel that pain of what happened with me and the friend, I need to find the beliefs that are driving that pain. And so maybe the belief is that I'm not good enough or that I'm not safe, that this is going to keep happening and that I'm not safe. And so I take that to the Lord and I'm like, Lord, in this situation, I really don't feel safe. And that's why I want to close my heart to this person. That's why I want to keep this distance or um, that's why this bitterness keeps popping up because it feels unsafe. And the Lord shows me how safe I am in his arms. Well, then when I have a realization of how safe I am, that unsafe feeling isn't there to drive me back into the bitterness and unforgiveness. So many times when we do inner healing, we will go around the tree of forgiveness is what I call it. And we will deal with all of the beliefs that are in place of why you don't want to forgive the other person. And sometimes the beliefs are things like, If I forgive them, then that means what they did was okay or that it wasn't wrong. When something like that comes out, then I'll be like, can we ask God about that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay, God, it feels true that if they forgive them, then that's saying what the other person did was okay. You know, and of course, God always corrects it and lets them know that that's not true in however way he wants to communicate to them. And so then we go back and it's like, okay, so now how how does it feel to think about forgiving them? It's like, well, if I forgive them, they're going to do it to me again okay, can we ask God about that? And so, you know, we ask God about that and God might tell him, I'm with you or you're safe, you know? And so he's answering a deeper question than are they going to do it to me again? Because the question behind, are they going to do it to me again? Is, am I going to get hurt again? Am I going to recover next time this happens? And so God speaks into that. Another one might be, if I forgive them, then I have to let them into my life and have a relationship with them again. 
this is a very common one. And, um, and, you know, sometimes Christians think that that's the Christian thing to do, that we have to have a full on intimate relationship with everyone. And what, what you see in this is a lot of Christians confuse forgiveness with reconciliation, right? Forgiveness. And I think you're addressing all of this really well, but we need to define a couple of things that with forgiveness, it is simply an act of your will and or belief system, a correction of your belief system between you and God. You don't have to ever interact with another individual that you have unforgiveness for in order for you to forgive. All right, that's reconciliation. Reconciliation takes two parties coming together and bringing together a connection of relationship. With- and if, if there's wrongdoing, there's biblical grounds for restitution. And so really, if someone does you wrong, biblically, you know, if you steal my, I don't know, horse, then you need to give me seven in return. You're making restitution for what you did wrong so that now I know you really meant it and that now you're a safe person that you've repented and changed. And so now it's right. safe for me to have a relationship with you. And, and in the modern equivalent of like if someone was talking behind your back or slandering you, there needs to be evidence to the contrary that that person is trustworthy again that you once had trust in that person. But when you're looking at this, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is you releasing them, releasing that person before the Lord. And that that is your heart and the Lord's heart. And that you are now free from whatever stronghold that unforgiveness had. And so you don't have to reconcile. You can seek to pursue reconciliation if it is a healthy choice. And that's what I think you're getting to. Right. And so many times when we ask God, God, is it true that they have to let this person back in their life or they have to have a relationship with this person if they forgive them? And then God will speak into that. You know, he says different things to different people regarding that, because the truth is some people he is going to draw you back into reconciliation with and have a relationship with. And maybe we need to deal with some surrounding beliefs about your fear about that. But Mm -hmm. some people he's not going to put you back in a relationship with. You know, one of the books I did called Healed and set free. It was from a girl who had been molested by her uncle many times. And she gave the scenario that if you're going to a counselor and the counselor is counseling a child that's being raped by their grandfather, it is not healthy or safe for them to go back into a relationship with their grandfather. Ever. Ever. They should forgive them. But they should not put be put into relationship with them. And no. so forgiveness is not the same thing as relationship. And right. forgiveness does not mean you have to be put back in a relationship. So those are just some of the beliefs that hold unforgiveness in place. And what you're also looking at with forgiveness doesn't mean you ever have to trust that person again. If yeah, that's there's one a, of the... If there's a breaking of trust, there needs to be a restitution of proof that this person is trustworthy. And so on your point, we don't have to, and this is where we get caught up, like, oh, I have to be in connection with this individual. And they might be a family member. You, yeah, it might be. I don't I don't want to forgive them because I can't trust them. Might be the belief in place. Right. But you can forgive them and not trust them at the same time. Right. I think many times people think Christians, well, we just have to trust everyone. We have to be in relationship with everyone. I think the Bible says as innocent as doves and as shrewd as serpents, as wise as serpents. Like you don't have to be a fool and taken in by wrongdoing or mistreatment. Yeah. God calls us to forgive everyone as we want to be forgiven. 
so let's look at Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. You know, Jesus was harmed. He was slandered. He was told that he was demon possessed, that he was a heretic by the Pharisees and Sadducees. We know without a doubt that Jesus forgave them. But did he let them into his inner circle? No, there was not a deep relationship that he had to hold with those individuals at all. Even even if he was invited into their home, he was respectful. I mean, he was honorable, but when there was wrongdoing on their part, yeah, he forgave them, but that doesn't mean he uh, had to continue a an intimate relationship with them. There are tiers to relationship of intimacy based off of someone's trustworthiness. And our tiers of relationship are between us and God. Like me and God help decide who in my life is going to be close to me, who is a safe person, and who is not. Mm -hmm. And so just because somebody wants to be really close to me or wants to be in my inner circle doesn't deem that I have to let them or that I should let them. Right. And so when we're looking at Jesus, even in regards to the religious, right, he would forgive. There's no doubt in my mind, right? We're not seeing explicit scriptures where Jesus is saying, oh, I forgive them. Other than, I forgive them, they know not what they do, right? Don't hold this against them. As he's being crucified, he's not holding it against them. But he's not drawing them in to lay on his bosom and speak to them about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Not, Not in the least, right? That's why he spoke in parables, because they did not receive him, and he gave clear utterance to the disciples, to the apostles. Yeah, so forgiveness being absolutely key, but relationship not necessarily having to be what we think it has to be, you know. And so speaking about Jesus and these Pharisees, we see what I like to call is like a spirit of religion. Yes, and to clarify that there is pure religion before God, right? This is just a, a form of what we would call legalism in today. And so religion in the American sense is not necessarily a bad thing, but being religious or legalistic, I would use those as synonyms oftentimes because that means we're just trying to adhere to rules and making the outside of the cup clean, making the appearance of my religion being the definition of who I am rather than having a transformation of the heart. So we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew the word of God like the back of their hand. They absolutely followed all the scriptures. We see that they even tithed mint and cumin, but they missed it. They said that Jesus was demon possessed. They blamed him of heresy. They crucified him and killed the king of the universe that created them and loved them. And so how can it be, Casey, that there's people that know the word of God perfectly, that follow the law perfectly, but then just miss it? Well, what we see in a lot of instances is this this spirit of of religion, uh, I think is something we're going to really delve into into this next this next time that we talk. But the reason why we bring this up is because there's so much in regards to Uh, unforgiveness, that it's not always, okay, I don't forgive, therefore I'm a religious person. We just see um, historically and with experience that there's a lot of people who are religious who just so happen to be embittered, who just so happen to be those people who do not forgive. 
And that's not in every case. Which really goes back to the heart. You know, I think a lot of times, like you said, with cleaning the outside of the cup is that people can clean the outside of the cup. They can do the right things. They can have the right doctrine. But the inside is what matters. It's what needs to be clean. And if the inside there's unforgiveness and bitterness, then the cup isn't good. And part of this having the clean inside of the cup is having forgiveness, having a forgiving heart that's connected to the Lord and sees people the way that the Lord sees them. And so as we explore our beliefs, we get them reconciled with the Lord in truth through hearing from him, we can really clean the inside of our cup. And that's going to be effortless forgiveness. Yeah. And so when I experienced this, it's like used to, I'd have to re-forgive and re-forgive someone. And now I actually have just pure forgiveness in my heart because all of those wrong beliefs have been taken care of. And so when I see them, there's nothing re-triggered. There's nothing where I have to re-forgive. I actually see them through God's eyes with compassion instead of annoyance, bitterness, anger, and these different things. And so when we learn how to go inside of us, have intimacy with the Lord, deal with our wrong beliefs and have him lead us in the knowledge of the truth, which brings us into freedom, we can have forgiveness. And when we have forgiveness, we can have easier relationships and better connection with other people. With that better connection with other people, we can actually represent the Lord better here on earth. We can actually be the gospel, be the arms and feet of Christ, have love, walk in love. And we can have these relationships that are so important. We can't do the gospel aside from having relationships with the Lord. And what you're going to find is that when we're when we're walking and dealing with these areas of our belief system, that connection is going to be much more prone um, to be bringing reconciliation. And so when you have deep, intimate connection with people and you're speaking their love, you can deal with those areas of conflict on a greater scale and you can actually bring reconciliation a lot quicker and walk in this effortless forgiveness because there's such a strong connection built. Exactly. And then we won't be like the Pharisees and Sadducees. We won't be walking in the spirit of religion where on the inside we have unforgiveness and these different things, but on the outside we're doing the right things, but not from a heart of love. So next time we're really going to dive into this religious spirit. This is something Casey and I have battled with in our past. And as I've overcome it, it is just a whole new world. So if this podcast has blessed you by giving you a deeper understanding of who God is, and has helped you grow in your relationship with him, we would like you to share with your friends who would benefit from these conversations. And also, if there is a particular topic you would like Jenny or me to discuss, let us know by visiting our landing page, delvewithus.info, and dropping us an email. Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth.